Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a lot of ground to cover with a lot of material, and we'll just, no, we're just going to do the best we can. Uh, Let's start with, on this date in history, on this date in history, October 6th, 69 BC, the Armenian king Tigranes the Great, who had built up a considerable empire for 20 years, was beaten by the invading Roman armies under Lucullus. Although uh, this Armenian kingdom was quickly swallowed up by Rome, Tigranes the Great stayed on as a client ruler, which perhaps may illustrate how a regime change may not turn out quite the way it's thought when uh, the invaders go in. And I cannot resist mentioning at this point that uh, Ahmed Chalabi was on 60 Minutes on Sunday. I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Uh, uh, The man who would be king there in Iraq has not become, in fact, the prime minister. He is only the current Iraqi oil minister. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the man that gave all that false data about weapons of mass destruction that uh, didn't turn out to be there, who said all those things that uh, certain people wanted to hear as a pretext for invasion... He's currently the oil minister and doing quite well, thank you. On this date in history, October 6, 1973, hoping to win back territory lost during the Third Arab-Israeli War, that was the Six-Day War of 1967, Egypt and Syria launched a coordinated attack against Israel on Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. And on the eighth anniversary of that event, the Yom Kippur War, Islamic extremists assassinated Egyptian President Anwar Sadat as he reviewed troops. And it was on this date in 1978 that Iraqi President Saddam Hussein ordered exiled Iranian cleric Rudallah Khomeini to leave Iraq. Khomeini moved to France until the Iranian Revolution forced the Shah of Iran into exile, at which point Khomeini made a triumphant return to Iran in February of 1979. Our quote of the day comes from George W. Bush, who said, quote, And to the extent the federal government didn't fully do its job right, I take responsibility, unquote. Which does rather uncannily remind those of us old enough to remember how in about 1973, then-President Richard M. Nixon came forward to say as regards Watergate, he was taking the responsibility for what happened. Not the blame, the responsibility. We'll have a little bit more to say about uh, Richard Nixon and the current uh, President Bush uh, a little bit later. And for our, our joke of the day, we're going to, uh, to go to the files of David Letterman's top ten list, because that's always good for a laugh. Our favorites among David Letterman's top ten rejected commercial characters. Number ten, Mr. Peanut for Calvin Klein underwear. Number nine, Roadkill Ralph the Goodyear tire mascot. (laughs) 
My uh, my personal favorite, number eight, Blackie, the oil-soaked Exxon Seagull. We also have number six, Jitters, the Chase and Sanborn Caffeine Hound. <laughs> number five, Flipped Out Mr. Zip, the disgruntled post office employee. Number three, among rejected commercial characters, Greyhound Gus, the bus-riding drifter. And number one, rejected commercial character, the anatomically correct Poppin' Fresh. Our statistic of the day is as follows. This comes from The Economist. About 70% of Chinese citizens who can afford a mobile phone now have one. China has 305 million mobile phones and 295 million landline users, more than any other nation on Earth. And from The Week magazine, something we love to cite every week, the Good Week for Bad Week for section we have as follows. It was judged a bad week last week for angels after Ashley Smith, the Atlanta woman who said in March she persuaded escaped killer Brian Nichols to surrender by reading to him from a Christian bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life, finally admitted that she in fact also gave Nichols a little crystal meth from her private stash. And one that really puts a smile on my face, it was also judged a bad week for clutch performances. After a man with a shotgun carjacked a Chevrolet Camaro in a Kansas parking lot, then failed to make a quick getaway because he didn't know how to drive a stick shift. (laughs) And it was judged a good week for loopholes. And I I especially love this one after having so many talks with my, my good friends in the legal profession who talk about the majesty of the law and the legal reasoning that goes into it. But uh, as I say, it was a good week for loopholes when bigamy charges against a Virginia man were dismissed on the grounds that since he was already married, his subsequent, quote, marriages, unquote, were therefore invalid under Virginia law. Therefore, he wasn't a bigamist. And I read about this story in the Associated Press. Apparently, this guy, Edward Hicks, had married three women while he was married to someone else. And I guess all three of them just get to like it or lump it, since according to this legal reasoning, he's not a bigamist. Those marriages they did to you guys, well, those are all illegal. I presume then they have no legal recourse. I don't know. For this correspondence money, that may be the worst example of legal reasoning I've heard since Bush versus Gore. I've been meaning for a couple weeks to note that uh, Rich, our uh, technology guru down at the station, did note it was kind of odd uh, in regards to the tracks of these hurricanes that both of them appear to be bearing down upon the oil-producing regions of the Gulf Coast making one wonder a little bit about the Gaia hypothesis, that the Earth is uh, trying to fight back and regulate itself. Personally, I find it hard to swallow the Gaia hypothesis, but it does make one wonder when you look at where those hurricanes struck. We need to talk about a lot of politics on today's show. There's so many items taking place, but I wanted to go back briefly, go backward uh, to mention uh, Richard Nixon. As, uh, As I said I would at the top of the show, 
for me, it's interesting to contemplate that Nixon, although he passed away in, in 1994, um, had quite a lasting influence on America, even though he resigned the presidency. And I thought of this when I read from uh, the, the comment by NASA Chief Michael Griffin last week, talking to USA Today, said that, uh, that the space shuttle had been a mistake, saying, quote, it is now commonly accepted that it was not the right path, end quote. Uh, Griffin noted that he regarded that the shuttle and the space station as misguided. He told the Senate earlier this year that the shuttle was deeply flawed and that the space station was not worth the expense, the risk, and the difficulty of flying humans into space. As regards our current space station, Michael Griffin said that had the decision been mine, it would not have built the space station we're building in the orbit we're building it in. The space shuttle we've been saddled with, of course, was a design that came out of the Nixon administration, their efforts to retrench after uh, the moon landing. They decided that this was not a good place to spend money. Even though, all things considered, the space program has been one of the smashing successes of the past generation. Anyway, I thought about Nixon's revenge from beyond the grave, uh, not only as regards, uh, you know, the space shuttle, but also the fact that for like 20 years after he was gone, or almost 20 years, Americans were driving 55 miles an hour, regardless of whether your car got 30 miles to the gallon, as mine did, or whether you bought one that got 11. Uh, Thank God the Reagan administration finally got rid of that. I mean, certainly we do need to conserve. We desperately need to conserve oil and gas. But a blanket law like that that affects everyone, regardless of how much effort they've made to get a fuel-efficient car, was stupid, and I'm glad Reagan undid that. But where I really thought of Nixon's, uh, Nixon's legacy was the recent passing of William Rehnquist, who has now been officially replaced on uh, the Supreme Court by John Roberts. We're going to talk to uh, some of our legal eagles affiliated with this program about uh, John Roberts and uh, the newest nominee, Harriet Myers. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about like the article uh, in the B about how uh, noting that many justices have been judicial novices and some have been good and some have been bad. A picture, of, a picture of Earl Warren was featured uh, there with one of the, um, one of the chief justices who um, distinguished himself despite having no previous experience on the bench. I think this is a, uh, a very interesting example. We'll, we'll get back to the, those topics, the new justices, but I just want to say that uh, with the passing of Rehnquist, Nixon put Rehnquist on the bench in, in 1972. And uh, I just wanted to quote uh, from the New York Times after the passing of Rehnquist, noting that history will not rank William Rehnquist as a great jurist. Rehnquist won many battles in his decades in the court, but on the biggest issues, such as abortion and affirmative action, he was thankfully unable to prevail. The exception was the momentous and legally unpersuasive Bush versus Gore decision handing the 2000 election to Bush. That partisan intervention was a low moment in the court's history and the moment for which Rehnquist may be most remembered. We would echo that sentiment, noting that uh, a justice who uh, supposedly based his belief in judicial restraint stepping in to stop a vote recount in one of the, uh, in the key state of the union was indeed one of the low moments in U.S. Supreme Court history. And I think this was mentioned in the passing of Rehnquist, but we'd like to, to make, uh, make note of it uh, one final time on this program. While he was acting as a clerk for uh, Justice Robert Jackson in 1952, William Rehnquist authored a memorandum which supported the separate but equal 
Plessy versus Ferguson ruling of 1896, which had legally established segregation in the United States. Rehnquist later denied that those were his views, but that he was reflecting those of his boss, uh, Justice uh, Jackson. Uh, Those who knew Jackson say this was an absolute slander on the man's character and absolutely not true. The truth is very few people believed uh, William Rehnquist when he said that, but he got on the bench anyway. I love this item from the AP, Dateline, Westchester, Pennsylvania. A defense attorney asked a judge to bar any reference to his client's nickname in his upcoming murder trial, saying jurors might think someone called Scuzz is, well, scuzzy. Demetrius Scuzz Fiorentino, 31, is charged with the April 2004 shooting death of Joel Welts Taylor during a botched drug deal in a Coatesville crack house. In his request Friday, in his request to common pleas judge Phyllis Streidel, defense attorney Lawrence Harmelin cited the dictionary reference of scuzzball as an unpleasant, dirty, or dangerous person, creep, and scuzzy as dirty, shabby, or foul in condition or nature. The assistant district attorney apparently said, well, all these witnesses are going to have to call him by the name they know him. They're they're not going to call him scuzzball or scuzzy. It's scuzz, because... That's his nickname. And speaking of scuzzballs in the law, I don't know if any of you saw this advertisement in Sacramento's News and Review uh, last issue uh, with the title, Viox, the Facts and the Law. Facts, a Texas jury rendered $253 million verdict against Merck. Blah, 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 blah. Fact, 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 fact. And you need us to represent you to go after Big Doe in the Viox case. Well, we would say in response to their fact, if you or your loved one had a stroke or heart attack while taking Vioxx, it's very possible Vioxx was the cause. Well, take out the very. It's possible Vioxx was the cause and Vioxx contributed to it. And yes, you know, uh, Merck did a bad thing in the marketing of Vioxx. They were way too aggressive. But now we see five hungry, ravenous lawyers on uh, on this advertisement. Uh, just just champing to go. In fact, their, their little logo says Million Dollar Advocates Forum with the Balance of Justice. I don't see anybody wearing the white hat in that drama. Anyway, from the CSI file, we have two items. It's been noted from some bioarchaeology in London based on excavations done at the Chelsea Old Church Cemetery. 26 skeletons were looked at where they knew the actual age of death and then used standard forensic methods to try and estimate those ages and discovered that in 66% in 66% of the cases, the estimates were wrong. Um, they decided in the wake of this study that uh, adults can really only be sorted into broad age groups, young, middle-aged, and old. They discovered that uh, adult skeletons change at different rates, so some advance more quickly than others. So uh, a 30-year-old and 70-year-old can exhibit the same stage of bone degeneration, said the authors of the study. Uh, Even more important than this is the fact that the notion that fingerprints are an absolute uh, infallible guide to uh, someone's identity is now being challenged in courts. Article in New Scientist magazine, September 17th, by Andy Coughlin, notes that, um, that uh, well, doubts have been following this matter since uh, uh, there's this high-profile mistake involving Brandon Mayfield, a Portland, Oregon lawyer, who was incorrectly identified from crime scene prints taken at one of the Madrid terrorist bombings on um, the 11th of March last year. Despite three FBI examiners plus an external expert agreeing on the identification, 
Spanish authorities eventually matched the prince to an Algerian. What I find fascinating is the quote in the article that no one disputes that fingerprinting is valuable and a generally reliable police tool, but despite more than a century of use, fingerprinting has never been scientifically validated. Simon Cole, a criminologist at the University of California, Irvine, is uh, one of the doubters uh, and, and said, notes that subjective bias can creep into situations in which a match between two prints is ambiguous. Their proficiency tests have been cited by Cole in the Journal of Criminal Law and Criminology. Notes that false matches occurred at a rate of 0.8% on the average and in one year were as high as 4.4%. Boy, 1% to 4% is, is a lot more fallible than I'd been led to believe. Perhaps a Simon Cole from our sister campus down in Irvine uh, will come on the show and talk to us. We'll, we'll be putting a call in to him uh, in the next few days. We, uh, we are due for a break here, and as we go out, I would like to note that we mentioned on last week's program that Representative Richard Pombo, Republican Tracy, was spearheading an overhaul of the Endangered Species Act. We're sad to report that since our last program aired, the House passed the most sweeping overhaul to the Endangered Species Act since the landmark environmental bill was born 32 years ago. The House approved by a 229 to 193 vote um, a bill that would uh, would change the status of endangered species. It's, it's, it's being hailed as a triumph for Richard Pombo, who's been trying uh, for a decade to get the law changed. The Sacramento Bee article by Brian Doyle noted that uh, with environmentalists and moderate Republicans skeptical, the bill's long-term prospects are uncertain. This, uh, this bill would affect uh, the critical habitat system uh, that, that's currently in place. Uh, California, it should be noted, is home to 304 federally protected species. And we would note that uh, this bill was co-authored by Representative Dennis Cardoza, Democrat of Merced, and has been backed by a deep-pocketed coalition of developers, farmers, and private property advocates. We will continue to follow that story. But now, let's take a break. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. This is Radio Parallax, and I'm your host, Douglas Everett. Stay tuned. <laughs> 